Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I said, praise the Lord, everybody. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you all so much for such a warm welcome. Um, from the moment I stepped out of my car and started to press my way to the sidewalk, my new friend, <laughs> Mark Wright, is happy and excited and greeted me. And it was just so warm and welcoming. Um, and it just blessed my soul. So thank you uh, to Pastor Eric and Pastor Ken. Thank you both so much for the gracious invitation to come here once again for the labor that you all have put in, especially in this series. Um, it is a challenging topic to talk about in the church. And when I see churches speaking about mental health from the pulpit or stage or whatever you want to call it, um, it just warms my heart. And so thank you for stepping into uh, something that could be very challenging. Um, and for some aspects of religious communities may think that you shouldn't be talking about it. And so I appreciate you taking the time to do that um, and inviting me to, to join in. So today I am not going to preach a sermon. Uh, I am coming with some... I wouldn't say I'm an expert because I'm a lifelong learner, but I do work in this field. And so I'm going to come with much of that, but also I am a pastor. I am a licensed and ordained minister of the gospel, and so my faith informs everything I do. And so um, our faith is not mutually exclusive from our mental health challenges. Amen. So we're going to look at the intersection of both faith and mental health. And some of the stuff that I will say will be familiar because your pastors here did such a phenomenal job of talking about this topic um, and laying down a really great foundation on how we ought to think through mental health broadly. Amen. So um, let's go ahead and just jump right in. The first slide that I want to talk about is my organization, Owens Counseling and Consulting. As a student uh, of this work, I didn't know exactly how it would come about. Over 10 years ago, I found myself in the therapy room. A believer, uh, a person who really believed in the stigma that going to therapy was for crazy people or rich white people. That's what I was taught. <laughs> that black folks didn't have time to be sitting around worried about their feelings, right? And I understand that to a degree. And so over 10 years ago, I found myself in therapy with a therapist who is also an ordained minister of the gospel. And so oftentimes in our work, my therapist would integrate components of my faith with therapeutic modalities to help me make sense of what was going on with me at the time. What I didn't know then was that God was putting me on a path to align my passions with God's purpose for me and to call me into ministry that integrates both faith and therapy. 
And so I went through seminary uh, as a second career. So I got my second and third master's uh, degree. And in seminary, I got my master's of divinity and a master's in marriage and family therapy. So I did the church internship and practicum. <laughs> so I am in theology classes where I can easily see how therapy and therapeutic modalities could be of help, but I'm also in therapy classes where I can see how theology could form <laughs> some, some of these therapeutic modalities. And so oftentimes my brain cannot separate the two. And so I start practicum, I'm seeing clients as, a, as an intern, I go into residency, I'm seeing more clients, I'm getting more training, and now it's time for me to launch out. And the scripture that came to mind to be a foundation for the work that I do was Psalm 91.4, and that reads, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. The feather in the logo represents this scripture. What we do not know is who the author of Psalm 91 is. But the author is reminding us of the promised protection that God has for us in the midst of danger. The dangers we face may be externally or internally. The author lets us know that God is a shelter for us. That God is a refuge when we are afraid. That God is a protector through all of our fears, no matter how intense they may be. But we must dwell, as it says in the beginning of Psalm 91, in God. We must rest in him, in trusting in God's protection. God is with you. God is with me. And God will often use other people to come alongside us to help us in life's difficulties. So when we are experiencing physical illness, many of us don't have a problem going to the doctor. And we'll pray about it. We'll get in prayer circles about whatever's going on. And if we don't like what that doctor is saying, we go and find another doctor and get a second opinion. And we're going to keep doing this thing until we feel a sense of peace about our situation. And we will pray and follow the doctor's orders. But for some reason, oftentimes... When it comes to our mental wellness, when it comes to mental illnesses or distresses that we are experiencing, our faith gets questioned, or we even question our own faith, if we have the courage to go see a mental clinician or therapist. There's a therapist and minister that, um, whose work I love. Her name is Dr. Anita Phillips. She says it best. She says, therapy is a strategy, but prayer is a weapon. Therapy is a strategy. It's a tool. It's a resource. But prayer is a weapon. So as we close the series on mental health, I want to offer a presentation to you all today. As we examine how faith and mental health intersect with one another and how they can coexist. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, let the words of my mouth and let the meditations of our hearts, God, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and you are our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So for those of you who uh, want to follow along and just kind of get a sense of what I'm going to do, I'm going to breeze through these first few slides pretty fast, and then we're going to do an examination of what the scriptures have to say. Amen? Uh, so we'll do some definitions. We'll debunk some mental health stigmas. We'll look at the cross-section between faith and mental health. We'll talk about what it means to be blessed and stressed. That you can have Jesus and a therapist. And then we'll talk high level on some signs to look for. I'll touch high level on some tools and resources that you could take away. And we'll close in prayer. So what is mental health? Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Y'all, mental health is health. When we think of mental health, we are automatically, oftentimes many of us, thinking of mental illnesses. They're not the same. Your mental health is your overall health of the mind, okay? And however that health is of the mind is going to determine how we think, is going to determine how we feel, is going to determine how we act. And if we don't pay attention to how we think, feel, or act, just pay attention to how we show up in relationships with others. Are you irritable all the time? And I'm not talking about the times when your spouse is tap dancing on your last nerve, right? Or your child is just doing what they do. But when you find yourself feeling irritable most often, and so pay attention to how you relate to others. Mental illness, though, will impact your overall mental health. And so my hope is that in this conversation today that we pay attention to our overall health and wellness that includes our mental well-being and that we feel empowered to take control of our wellness and not approach it from a space of, of deficiency or defectiveness. When you're struggling and, the, and you do something about it, you take back the narrative. Amen? And so there are some contributing factors to our poor mental health. Biological factors such as genes or brain chemistry, oftentimes that goes overlooked. Life experiences such as trauma or abuse or extreme levels of stress. Family history of mental health problems. And sociocultural or environmental stressors and traumas. In the last three years, we've experienced a lot of that. Socio or cultural traumas, racism, a global pandemic, turning on the news and finding out about yet another killing in the city. You may not live in that area, but that stuff affects you. It's called vicarious trauma. Right? And so these things can impact our overall sense of our mental wellness. Oftentimes when we are experiencing problems with our mental health and we've experienced it for a long time, we then begin to identify with that. So I'll hear clients say things, I'm just broken. And my response is, no, you're not. You feel broken but you're not broken. You are not the identity of your problem. Your problem is the problem. You're not the problem, amen? 
And so when we are experiencing these issues, they're invisible wounds. And oftentimes we don't pay attention to it because we can't see it. But many of us who are believers serve a God that we cannot physically see, right? But we experience God in so many ways. And so we have to take control of our mental well-being. Amen? All right, so let's go through this real fast. One of the myths that I often hear is mental health problems don't affect me. That's a lie. (laughs) Mental health problems are very common. Here's some uh, quick statistics from mentalhealth.gov. One in five American adults experience a mental health issue. One in five. One in six young people experience a major depressive episode. One in 20 Americans live with a serious mental illness such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, or major depressive disorders. Suicide is the leading cause of death in the United States right now. And it's the second leading cause of death in people in the ages of 10 through 24. In 2020, just three years ago, the number of deaths by suicide nearly doubled the number of homicides here in the United States. So you cannot tell me that mental health problems don't affect you, because they do. Whether you yourself are experiencing these issues or you know someone who is. Second myth, people with mental health problems are violent. Again, not accurately. They are more likely to be victims of violent crimes, actually. The vast majority of people with mental health problems are no more likely to be violent than anyone else. The fact is is that most people with mental illnesses are not violent and only three to five percent of the violent acts can be attributed to individuals living with a serious mental illness. People with severe mental illnesses are over 10 times more likely to be victims of violent crimes than the general population. Recently, just earlier this month, Jordan Neely, I believe the name is, on a subway, homeless man in a mental health crisis, a witness said that he was not in any danger to anyone on that train, yet he was panhandling and he gets on the subway and he's screaming out. But he's not a threat. And a 24-year-old or 25-year-old, I can't get the age right, former Marine, took it upon himself to save everybody on the train. Because his biases, whether it was biased because of this man's skin color or biased because of what he was doing, as a result of his mental state, or a combination of both, found it upon himself to save everyone else. Put him in a chokehold, and we know what happened. We have to check our own biases when it comes to mental health. How we see others who are in a state of a mental health crisis will determine, too, how we respond. But we have to get educated. So here's someone who wasn't hurting anybody but fell victim of a violent crime. But we assume that 
because of this mental state that he was in that he would become violent. Prevention doesn't work. Prevention focuses on addressing known risks such as exposure to trauma and stress and the fact remains is that it does work. When we have spaces like this, where you get to come to church on a Sunday for several Sundays and you get to hear the word of God on this particular topic, when you go to seminars, when you are just going for a checkup. <laughs> we go to the doctor for our physical body for a checkup for most of us every year just for preventative work. You can do the same with your mental health. That type of exposure uh, lowers health care costs. It helps us to be more productive. It improves our quality of life. It improves our relationships. And for many of us, it helps us have a stronger spiritual life when we're proactive. They can snap out of it if they try hard enough. All right, y'all. That one gets me every time. If a person could easily just snap out of it, don't you think they would have? Right? No one wants to deal with this type of distress. So if they could just get over it, they would have. Transformational healing plans, some will call it treatment plans, such as therapy, medication, or both, can help a person recover and transform their healing. This is why it is important to be proactive. This is why it's important to intervene when someone is under mental distress. And having a strong support system, friends, family, and faith communities can aid in that transformative healing. Last one, mental health problems is a sign of losing faith or a consequence of sin, and this is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time. Y'all, mental health is health. So if there's a health problem mentally, then there's a health problem that you have. It is not directly because of someone's sin, although we may tend to think that and may have been taught that in faith communities. And we really don't know. The reality, though, is, is that we serve a God who wrapped himself in humanity, who took on all the sin and died on the cross for your sin and mine. So even if it is, Jesus already paid it. And your job is to do what you need to do to take control back of your health. Amen? With faith being the center, the core. So it's a powerful combo to have the two. Faith and mental health are complementary to one another. So if mental health is health, that includes our overall health, physical, mental, and spiritual. Spiritual health is important. This is why y'all need to be praying and getting in God's word and dwelling in him and resting in him and trusting him just like you do your doctor. Faith is powerful. It helps us to make sense of our suffering. It helps us to persevere through hardship. And it is a healing bomb in community with other believers. Faith leaders your pastors and other leaders in, in, the, in your faith community are often first responders to mental health crisis, especially in communities of color. Because of the healthcare disparities in this country that communities of color and people of color tend to get the short end of the stick, 
they're not going to the physician. <laughs> they're not going to the therapist. They're not going to, they're going to the pastor. And our faith leaders need to be equipped on how to deal with these issues. Faith-based and religious practices can lead to contemplative meditation. Y'all do know that there's a scripture that says to meditate on God's word day and night. So I don't know where in Christendom we are so afraid to meditate. Meditate on scripture day and night. I mean, my goodness, okay? When we do that, when we pray, a therapist will call it a grounding tool. We're centering our mind back on what's present. That helps relieve anxiety, stress. It helps you feel calm in the body and mind. So if y'all ain't praying, I need you to start. Faith communities can provide opportunities for social interaction, service to others and the community at large, and can be a source of resources uh, that can aid in overall wellness, including in improved mental health. Let me just touch on this for just a little bit. Because there is so much power, and we can, uh, there we go. Can we go to the next slide, the faith and mental health, so, so they can see all of this? Thank you. There's so much power in being in community with other faith believers. There's a lot of power there, but we have to be community. And so just as helpful as it is, it can be harmful as well when it, when it comes to mental health. Uh, harm can happen when issues that impact one's mental health are not addressed or handled with care. Harm can happen when faith communities are operating out of their ignorance about mental health due to larger systemic systemic stigmas that continues to plague our society or out of their own chosen ignorance about mental health. Harm can happen when leaders and members of the faith community are everything but community to one another, especially to those dealing with some sort of mental crisis. We like to tuck people away when they make us uncomfortable. Harm can happen when leaders and or members of faith community tend to engage in what's called toxic positivity to hurry past one's discomfort. Toxic positivity. That occurs when there's a feeling of pressure to remain positive in all, at all times, suppressing any negative emotions or experiences that often leaves the receiver feeling invalidated, devalued, and isolated. This happens when we say things like, very dismissive, you got this. Just pray it away. God won't give you more than you can bear. You too blessed to be stressed. I mean, I can go on, right? Instead of listening and validating how hard or difficult a person may be experiencing something, and then asking, how do they want support? What can I do to be of help? Amen? All right, next slide. So, in the spirit of talking about being blessed and stressed, we're going to look at the both and. And here we're going to look at some scriptures. What does it mean to be blessed and stressed? What does it mean to have Jesus and a therapist? And I believe God has a lot to say about our mental health through the word. So let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let me stop there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi from a jail cell. This is not like Marion County Jail. This is much more horrific, the experience that, and the conditions that he is under. And yet he is taking the time to write to a church that has supported his ministry, and he tells them, do not be anxious. What Paul does not say is don't feel anxiety. He did not say don't feel anxious. Paul says do not be anxious. When we be something, we're taking it on as our identity. You are not your anxiety. You may have anxiety, but anxiety does not have to have you. Amen? And so, because we serve a God that cares for our mind as well as our soul, we can take our anxieties, we can take our worries, we can take our cares in every situation to him in prayer and petition. And we can reframe the mind with thanksgiving, with gratitude to get us back grounded. Amen? And then, and then this is what, what I love. Then he says, once you do that, verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That kind of peace is beyond our own understanding. All hell could be breaking loose around you and you could still have peace. Because God's peace will guard you in heart and mind. But we have to quit taking things on as our identity. You are an image bearer of Christ. You are not your anxiety. You are not your depression. You are not your bipolar disorder. You are not your major depressive. You are not those things. You have those things, maybe, yes. You have stressors, yes. But that is not who you are. You are a child of God. And God loves you so much that he would give you the peace that surpasses all your understanding, that would guard your heart and mind. And he tells us sometimes to go see therapy. Okay? All right. First Peter 5 and 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Your worries, your anxieties, your, your stressors, cast them out. The problem is sometimes we cast things out, and then we just go back and pick it up. God cares for you. Leave it, cast it out to him. Romans 12 and 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we have to do things countercultural as Christians. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. In order for us to have our mind renewed, we have to be in Christ. We have to get in his word and yield to what God is telling us to do. We ain't got to like it to be obedient. Amen. Some of y'all probably say that to your children. You ain't got to like it to be obedient. You're going to wash those dishes. Right? 
couple quick things to further emphasize just how much God cares about your mental health. I want to look at Jesus and his humanness. There are two big pivotal moments in Jesus' earthly ministry where in his humanness, he felt grief, distress, and abandonment. And there were other times too, like when his friend Lazarus died, he wept, right? There was some grief there. Um, when he was angry at the, um, I forget who it was. That I, don't, I went to seminary, but I don't remember this story all the way. When he flipped the tables over in the temple, See, your pastors are more smarter than I am. So there was some anger there. There was some expression there. But I want to talk about these two uh, really huge moments. And one took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to read out of Luke. Luke's version I love. Luke 22, verse 39 through 44. And he came out and went, as, he, as was his habit, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. Now when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you do not come into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The cup is suffering. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So Jesus is in agony. He is in deep despair. He has been mocked. He has been talked about. He has had threats on his life up to this point. He has gone through it, and he knows what's about to come. In his humanness, he's in great distress. He's scared even. In his humanness, he's afraid. In his humanness, he leans on his friends. Can y'all be with me in this? But they kept falling asleep on him. This is why you got to have a strong pair of life. Because people would disappoint you from time to time. So he leans on his support. And then he gets real about what he's feeling to the father. He gets real about his emotions. And he expresses his distress, his agony. He wants the cup of suffering taken from him. And some of us do not get real with the Father about what we're feeling. We don't get real with the Father about the strongholds that we're dealing with in our mind. But Jesus did. And then he reframed and said, God, not as I will, but as you will. He said, the, uh, Luke says that his sweat became like drops of blood. There's a rare condition called hematidrosis, where a person would sweat blood. And because it's so rare, it is not clearly understood. It generally could happen when the body is under severe stress and undergoing a fight or flight response in the nervous system, causing a rupture of tiny blood vessels that is located around the sweat glands. So your sweat becomes like blood. This can happen. So that paints an image of just how distressed 
Jesus was in his humanness. The other part that I want to point out in Jesus' humanness and his mental state was on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Now, y'all, let me just say, he's hanging on the cross. He cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I recently held a friend's new baby, and I don't know how old, so I'm just going to say new baby. It was a baby. And as I'm holding the baby and cooing at the baby, um, the father gets out of the baby's eyesight. The baby starts to squirm her face and her head starts moving real frantically and, and she's wiggling in my arms and I'm like, oh shoot, something's about to happen. And as soon as the father stepped back into her view, she yells out a loud cry. Because for us to cry as human beings, there's something that happens in the nervous system. There's one part of our nervous system that controls our fight or flight response. We are searching frantically and trying to figure out how we're going to be safe. And then the moment that we feel safe, we cry out. So now the other part of our nervous system helps us to process what was just causing some distress. And therefore we cry because now we're safe enough to let the emotions out. And so here Jesus is, feeling separated from the Father, hanging on the cross, yells out a loud cry. That means his body shifted on that rugged cross that with, with him being nailed to it, and he cries out in his distress to the Father. And since Jesus knew no sin, he had to feel the weight of separation from God that sin causes so that in him, we have an opportunity to not face that separation in eternity. Did y'all catch that? And so I say all of this because I want you to leave here knowing that Jesus can identify with your feelings of abandonment by God. Jesus can identify with your anxiety. Jesus can identify with your depression. De Jesus can identify with your distress, whether it's physically or mentally, because in his humanness, he took it all on. Therapy is a complement to faith and religion, not a replacement. You don't lose your faith because you go to therapy. And God can work through anyone and everyone, and that includes therapists. So friends, you can have Jesus and a therapist. As we wrap up, pay attention to some things that may impact or show up as signs of mental distress isolation, low interest in normal activities. If you notice that in yourself or others, they're not doing things that they normally would do. It will be a good time to check in. And not just a platitude, how you doing when you're not really ready for that answer. And if somebody asks you how you doing, I challenge you to be real. Chronic headaches, gastrointestinal issues. Oftentimes when my clients are coming in talking about anxiety, I'm asking them about their gut. When I'm working with children and they're saying, oh, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts, I'm asking them, what you scared about? What's worrying you? 
where do you feel some pressure in your life? Because they don't have the language to say that they're feeling anxious. They just know that their stomach hurts. Increased fatigue, under eating or overeating, <laughs> underspending or overspending, mostly times overspending. Y'all heard of retail therapy. That does not work. <laughs> now you in debt. Uh, increased self-criticism, self-loathing, low libido, or other physical ailments that may take place. So these are just some common signs to look for, okay? Couple of tools and extra, uh, general exercise that I want to highlight. And I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to take a picture in just a second. So if we can go to the slide where there's tools and uh, journal exercises, that would be great. Prayer and grounding techniques. Prayer, prayer, prayer. It works. But we cannot expect things to just happen instantaneously. God moves on God's own time, right? And sometimes God may not change your situation, but will change you in it. And so prayer, um, breathing exercises, deep breathing, mindfulness, uh, engaging your senses, paying attention to what's around you. There's one called the 54321 method. Five things you can see, four things you can hear, uh, two things you can feel, one th Wait, did I skip that five? Three things you can, <laughs> three things you can smell, two things you can feel, and one thing you can taste, okay? When you're feeling a little anxious, practice that. And nobody has to know you're doing it. Therapy, wise counsel. Y'all, get you some people who can pour into your life and speak the word of God over you and give you wise counsel. I want to go to Proverbs real fast. Proverbs uh, 11 and verse 14 in the New King James Version, it says, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. But you got to be careful who you're talking to. So you have to pray and use discernment and let God lead you to wise counsel, whether it's through God's scripture, through that of a pastor, a minister, small group, a therapist, whoever it is. Amen. Then, of course, taking care of yourself, um, engaging in a rhythm of self and soul care, get curious with yourself, engage in some joy. And this one, I would love for you guys to take a picture of. I'm not going to go through this because we are at time. It's a journal exercise that I wish I could take credit for, but I can't. Um, it's called PIES. Physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. This will get you in the habit of checking in with yourself and getting real with yourself. For each letter in the acronym, you will scale yourself, one being feeling the worst, ten being feeling the best, and then you will answer honestly the following questions on the other side. And if you notice that you're scoring pretty low in all those areas, then it may be time to really check in and pray, seek the Lord on some guidance, some wisdom, seek counsel, take control of your overall health, including your mental and spiritual health. Amen? Let me pray. And so, God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are a God who cares for us, 
in heart, in body, in spirit, and in mind. Thank you for being a God that we can cast all of our cares and our concerns to, and God, we can trust that you care for us. And God, I just thank you for this faith community. I thank you for the ways in which that you have brought them together collectively to study a topic that is so evident through your word that we ought to be paying attention to. And so, God, for someone who is here under the sound of my voice, I just pray healing in their lives right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you will step into their situation, whatever it may be, Father God, that you will show them who you are, that you will draw close to them, God, that you will bring peace that surpasses all of their understanding, that you will bring the right people of support around them, that will listen first and speak second. And God, may we be reminded of your care and your concern for us, that we are an image bearer of you, that you called us a child of God, that you called us friend. And God, may we feel that love so deeply and so widely. And that we, that we may also rejoice in you because as Eric sang this morning, you are rejoicing over us. And so, God, I pray these things in your matchless son's name, in Jesus' name.